Greetings, everyone. It is Friday, November 22nd, and this is the Abstract Podcast. My name is Javen Bear. And I am Colin Steiner. This week on the Abstract Podcast, we got to sit down with Dr. Hollingsworth, um, Randall Hollingsworth, who is a communication professor about 20 feet from where we're mm-hmm. sitting, and maybe 50. Yeah. He has his office down here in the common department, and it was a really great conversation. We got to talk about um, our serving as our calling, the different hats we can wear, and he just got to tell us a bit about his story. Mm-hmm. So I look forward to you guys listening to that in a, just a few minutes. Um, we did want to talk just a bit about the giveaway that we just did here at Eagle right. Radio. Two cheesecakes. Yeah. Two Reese's cheesecakes. Yeah. They look really great. good. We got them from um, Hirschberger's Bakery there in Fair Play, which is the kind of the sponsor of our show. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I know that um, this week, we us- I usually give the loaf of bread to the guests. It's usually just like a white loaf. Or yeah, I, well, I, I heard. I was like, I didn't know we give away various kinds. Yeah. So that was cool. So Dr. Hollingsworth, this week on the show, he got a jalapeno loaf. Which, which I had. Have I you had, had those? No, but you have to kind of, because when I think homemade bread, I always put butter and jelly. But I was like, oh, yeah. no, you want butter and jelly on that. You need like a ham sandwich. I have this memory of my childhood <laughs> just like sitting on the, I guess I wasn't really that young, but sitting on the, um, like an island in a kitchen, mm. you know, like those mm. islands, yeah, yeah, like a table, yeah. and just eating jalapeno cheese bread and like just plain, uh, plain, yeah, just eating oh, it. it. Like it's so good. I think ham would be good on it. Like a good ham yeah, you can make a sandwich. Anyway, what we were saying about the giveaway, yes, right? Um, we gave away two cheesecakes from Hershberger's Bakery, and that was really fun. We got like ninety people entered in the contest. Really? So wow, yeah, that was, it was good. Uh, the winners were Ashton Chup and what was it? Ashton Chup and Kara Schoolcraft. So Kara okay. was the winner from on campus, and Ashton was the winner from the kind of the distant audience. But that's awesome. So we're glad yeah. that you uh, let us in on your subscription list for your email. Yeah, well, that'll be cool. We'll find be it weekly. About. We got Thanksgiving coming up. That's right. I I just seen this interesting comic today, political cartoon, bored. And uh, it's the title thing says heads bowed at Thanksgiving, and there's just like six or seven people all sitting around with their heads reverently bowed, looking at their devices, <laughs> just on their phones around the table. So let that be our encouragement to you. Don't do that this Thanksgiving. But anyway, Colin, okay. what are your plans for Thanksgiving? Yeah, my wife and I are headed down to Jessup, Georgia, where my mom's side of the family resides. A lot of them. There's a few from Colorado, Indiana. So we're all coming together. It's usually it's a good time. There's a pile of people. There's lots of good food. Cool. We usually watch a lot of football, play some games. We usually we used to till we all started getting hurt. We used to play uh, <laughs> father son football games out in the yard Thanksgiving Day. Now you're just too and, brutal. Yeah, we're too brutal. So we went goose hunting one time. That was kind of fun. But yeah, it's a good time. Where are you up to? My extended family on the Kaufman side is going to go to Oak Island. It's a beach in North North Carolina. North Carolina. Yeah. And I heard Ashton say that she's planning to freeze the cheesecake she won. Oh, my stuff. And bring it along. (laughs) So this is looking And there was no foul play in the drawing. No, there was. Even though it stayed in family. I'll use a Google number randomizer, which is really cool. Anyway. Hope you guys enjoy the podcast episode with Dr. Hollingsworth, which is coming up next. I was telling my my mom and some other people when I seen you your um, your presentation in community worship, not chapel, the other day. <laughs> I was just I was so amazed because I've had you for I have you for two different classes. You're my professor, and. Um, just never seen that side of you. Like I knew you were into, 
you know, having fun in classroom and, and giving performances and speeches, but that was truly a, a marvelous performance. Well, I appreciate it. I was, I was a bit nervous about it because, as I said during the chapel talk, uh, the fact that I was, you know, I was doing a lip sync, I was um, also going to be playing my guitar and playing a song, a love song I'd written for my wife. And I chose to do all that partly because, obviously, the, the topic of chapel was life stories. Mm-hmm. And, and my wife was the one who encouraged me. She said, you know, you've, you've been doing these things ever since. She said, those are the things that yeah. actually I knew you for doing, doing the, you know, the performances and speaking. And, um, and, since, and since we've been married, we're coming up this coming, a week from today is Thanksgiving. I think I've mentioned to you guys in class that, and in chapel that this will be our 38th wedding anniversary. We didn't get married on Thanksgiving Day. It was November the 28th, but um, it rotates periodically because Thanksgiving is, Thanksgiving is always that, what is it, the last Thursday to fourth Thursday of the month. I think is how it goes. Yeah, or, so it's a different. Yeah. And so it kind of rotates. And this year, our anniversary falls on Thanksgiving Day. And we're excited because we have our, not all of our kids, some of our kids and grandchildren are coming to our place to, to celebrate Thanksgiving. Oh, but, well, yeah, before we, before we kind of get into, because I want to ask you about your story and kind of some of the background. Sure. But one thing I was curious about watching you, I'll go ahead and just say perform in, um, in chapel the other day, is I noticed it, it seemed to me that you were really willing to, you know, air quotes here, make a fool of yourself. Mm-hmm for the purpose of the presentation and for the purpose of trying to communicate something to the audience that would be valuable to them. Is that something that you've learned how to do or has it always been natural? Because for me, to get up there on the stage and, you know, you were doing that lip sync, riding around like a horse and running back and forth and, you know, make a fool of yourself. Is that something you've had to learn how to do? <laughs> no, it came so natural. <laughs> naturally, Just born with it. I, I and and again, it's something I didn't intend to do. Yeah. But again, as I mentioned in the talk in chapel, that my mother, uh, along with my wife, my mother was my biggest fan. She saw a side of me. <clears throat> excuse me. She saw a side of me when I was growing up as the youngest of three children. I was the one that would always make people laugh. I'd do something silly mm-hmm. in a tense moment and make people laugh. Yeah. We take the family pictures. You know, I was the one that, you know, everybody else is looking, you know, smiling and I'm, you know, making a face or looking in a different direction and which, you know, aggravated the daylights out of whoever's taking the picture. Um, my grandson is a lot like that. He never yeah. will. He always makes a face. But my mother was the one who actually noticed my knack for play with words, saying something, a little mm-hmm. twist on things, being silly, slapstick humor. Yeah. Um, so she saw that, and thus, you know, she was the one that said, hey, you could probably, she'd seen somebody else do a lip sync. And again, as I was saying in chapel, you know, most of us see Jimmy Fallon, you know, with his guests, they do regular lip syncs and competitions with each other, and there have been a lot of shows with lip syncing going on. But honestly, back in the day, doing a lip sync to a song was not something you saw. It wasn't on television. You didn't see that. And so when she saw somebody do it and she said, hey, I'm going to get you to do this. So it wasn't something like I wouldn't stand in front of a mirror and and try to think what face I'm going to make. I would listen to the funny song. I would hear the different characters because usually the novelty songs I had were songs that had lots of characters popping up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I never practiced in front of a mirror. And I remember the first time I saw myself on a video recording of me doing that, I said, is that what I look like? Because <laughs> my face was just all over like a rubber face. Uh, Jerry Lewis was, you know, back in the day, he was the comedian that was, 
you know, that I grew up with. And he was a funny character. He had all kinds of faces. And uh, but I remember watching, you know, the Jerry Lewis movies. Mm -hmm. And again, this generation may not be as familiar with Jerry Lewis, but he was he was such a slapstick, physical humor kind of a guy. And kind of like the Three Stooges. Yeah. You know, I loved the Three Stooges and enjoyed that growing up as well. So I think my mom saw that I had a knack for that. I was a natural entertainer. And then kind of drew it out of Yeah, me. because I sure wouldn't yeah. have done it on my own. And so I entertained my family, but I wouldn't have done something on, on a stage in front of someone. And she basically pushed me into that. And uh, Well, I thought it was interesting, kind of piggybacking on this. Um, one of the presentations in class this morning was talking about the different faces that we wear yes. in different situations. What's the theory that that is? Uh, <clears throat> I just went blank on it. Yeah. Because we had the aunt... When, uh, identity management, something with I think presentation so. yeah. of self, maybe? Yeah, presentation of self. And it's it's this idea that in different situations, for your own advantage, you put on different kind of fronts. Yeah. But then uh, the theorist was actually claiming that it's not that those things are all faking and you have a true self within you. It's that those are actually part of who you are. Right. And it's kind of interesting in your story. It seems like it took someone else to draw that out of you. Yes. I, I've... As I get older, I, I use the analogy of um, that we're, we're like trees. You mm -hmm. know, and trees, you know, have the inner circle, and they keep growing. They get layers that you don't see the inside of that tree, but it's still there. Yeah. Unless you cut it down, you don't see what you know what the inside looks like. Mm. And I, I know that I think I'm kind of stuck at my 12-year-old self. <laughs> That's still, you know, it's got all these layers yeah. of years around me, so I'm 59 now. But uh, as I was saying in the uh, presentation the other day that, uh, you know, I still enjoy sure. doing those things. I still see things sometimes from that 12-year-old side of me. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I do that. I heard someone say once that, you know, it's like I'm 46 years old. But that's not the only thing I am. I'm also nine years old and twelve years yeah. old and fifteen. Like I didn't leave all that behind. I just gained new things as well. Anyway, so I wanted to uh, let's move into talking about some of the different things that you've done. You're a professor here at Toccoa Falls College yes. now. Yes. Yes. Doctor Hollingsworth is what we call you. But but what are the other some of the other hats we've wore? Let's talk about those quickly, and then um, kind of move into some of the lessons you've learned throughout wearing sure. those hats. Uh, just quickly, when I was a student at Florida State University. Uh, Communication was my major. I chose that because it had so many tracks, and sure. I couldn't figure out which one to go. They had public relations, advertising, they had interpersonal communication, they had media production, media performance, which had to do with you know which side of the camera. You know, if you're behind the scenes working the camera, mm -hmm. versus you're the you know the news anchor or you're the person in front, you know, yeah. speaking, interviewing, and so they had those tracks. <clears throat> because I took a, a gap semester between community college and going to Florida State. I had a semester off, and by the time I got to Florida State, it was it was January, spring semester, so I wasn't coming in with the normal fall crowd of students coming yeah. in. You know that, because you did the same yeah, thing. You started in January. As well, yeah. And because of that, I wasn't able to jump into the, the track with some of the things I was looking at, public relations. Oh, yeah, you were one off. And I had, to, I had to pick something. The only thing that was available was interpersonal communication. And honestly, at the time, huh. I'm thinking, there's a whole track. I know I took a class <laughs> in community college called interpersonal, but there's a whole track. And I was thinking, what, what, what can you do with that? And, uh, and the next thing I know, I fell in love with it huh. and uh, did my internship. I had to do an interpersonal communication type of internship 
uh, and I was at a state university. And so I was, and at the time I was also still doing my performances. I was, I was doing lip syncs. I was mm-hmm. playing my guitar. I was traveling uh, in a small area. We were in North Florida, you're kind of in Florida, Alabama, and Georgia. So that was kind of my tri-state area, like here's you know South Carolina, Georgia, and Tennessee, North yeah, Carolina. Yeah, sure. So I, um, I was, I was doing lots of youth retreats and speaking at different groups in okay. different places. And wow. that was, that was for a majority of my life from 15 years old. Wow. Up till you know a few years ago, I had to slow down. <laughs> but that's um, interesting. Yeah, so, so I was an entertainer was probably my first hat that I wore. Sure. I, that's how I saw myself. I enjoy making people laugh, and and the fact that what I was doing, like even at chapel, uh, you know, there's mm-hmm. college students, but there are older professors, even professors older than me, who came up to me and said, "I loved it. You made me laugh. I needed that." Yeah. And then I, I just saw, uh, you know, s- some professors, little kids who saw the video yeah. of me doing this, you know, riding the horse and yeah. making the faces. And they said, you're funny. You are so funny. <laughs> and, and for me, it's, it, was, it was a cool thing that I, the thing I was doing would appeal to a, a three-year-old yeah. and would also appeal to an 80-year-old. Yeah, and, because when you're, you're standing there lip-syncing with a woman who's screaming, she's tying me up on the tracks, like that's funny no matter who you are. <laughs> So, but I, but honestly, that experience as an entertainer would be the first hat that I I, okay. I remember wearing. Yeah. Um, but then when I had to do my internship, I had to do something that was interpersonally related, and I went to my advisor at Florida State, and she was not a she was not a a, a religious person or a spiritual person in the sense of I was asking if I could work at a church as a youth pastor yeah. for a semester for my internship. And I didn't think she would let me. I thought she was going to say, no, you need to go to some business over here. Do And she said, oh, that would be perfect for you. She said, I know you're involved in your church, because I was. And she said, that would be great for you to be on that role as a youth pastor. That's a perfect fit. You'll be counseling kids. You'll be working with parents. You'll be working with youth workers. She was rallying all the things that I actually ended up doing. And so I stepped into that. Again, I was very reticent because I'd never been the point person as a youth, youth guy. My wife, because I got married my senior year, and so at that point, I was married. Okay, how old were you then? In college, right? Uh, I would have been, let's see, 20. I got married when I was 21. Okay. And so that would have been, uh, I would just turned 22 when I started doing my internship. I've been married for about six months or and so. And she was more the one, you said, like, you weren't involved in that kind of stuff, but she was? My wife? Yeah. My wife was an elementary education school teacher. Okay. So she was the organizer, the planner, the curriculum planner. I was more of the guy up front that just, you know, give me the stuff to do and I'll do it, but I don't like planning it. And so she and I worked well together because she loved planning a curriculum, taking an idea. And to this day, she's still the same way with planning a party mm-hmm. or, you know, any kind of thematic thing. She takes it, she runs with it, she does the research, she looks up ideas. But then she hates standing up in front, except for little kids with a teacher. Yeah. But she hates presenting and, and doing it. And I, I love that part of it. And I said, you plan it. I'll do it. So in the beginning, she was kind of my planner. She would help me look up Bible, you know, ideas for Bible studies for the youth group. And then eventually she said, you got this. You can do it. But I was really, I was reticent at first. But teacher. So I kind of took on the teacher, youth pastor role, which that actually allowed me to do, th- you know, the youth pastor trying to keep the attention of his youth group. So I'd use entertaining things. But I didn't sure. realize that the entertainment was what I now call the hook, you know, an object lesson or something that they were engaged with, but then you you catch their attention and then you begin to teach them some mm-hmm. principles from yeah. this little hook or this game or this thing that we did. So youth ministry really helped me with the idea of getting an audience's attention, using some of your 
talents where they're playing a song on the guitar, doing a quick little skit or lip sync or uh, dramatization of scripture or, or something, and then going into the lesson itself and unpacking the lessons that we can learn from it. So youth ministry gave me that both entertainer and teacher role. And then as a pastor as well, I did a lot of counseling, obviously, did a lot of, as, I, as I've told you guys before, my wife and I over the past you know, we've been married for 38, I would say for at least 28 of those years, uh-huh. we ourselves have been counseling couples that are getting ready to get married, partly because in the college context, you know, we see them meet each other. They come to our house for maybe a Bible study or bonfire at homecoming, yeah. and you start to see the relationships uh, building, and then you see them falling in love, and then they come to you one day and say, we just got engaged. Would you guys do our pre-marriage counseling? <laughs> sure. And sometimes I get the opportunity to perform the ceremony, the wedding ceremony, because yeah. I am an ordained minister. Okay, so from entertainer to more of the teaching, and then you go on to get your... Um... Yes, I did not plan. I, I did the youth ministry almost reluctantly because I was really nervous about doing that. Yeah. But once I actually did it, I really enjoyed it to the point where I graduated the church ended up hiring me full-time that okay. I was doing my internship. It was a small little church with a, a pastor's name was Wyatt Pope, and we jokingly called him the only Baptist Pope that we ever met. <laughs> but it was his first church. He didn't have any other staff members, so they had about you know 80 people in the church. Sure. And so he wanted someone to work with the youth group and to help him with hospital visits and preaching periodically. And so I ended up doing that, not because I wanted to be the preacher. That was not something I wanted to do. I enjoyed the the creative aspects of teaching outside of being on a, you know, a Sunday morning, just mm, a little bit more. Bringing the word. Yeah, and I, I didn't feel like that was my calling. True. And um, so even, even when I went to seminary, I had not planned on going to seminary, but I fell in love with youth ministry. I thought, I haven't had the opportunity like you guys have with coming to a school that actually has Bible classes. I never had that formally. My church was really good with teaching me biblical principles from Scripture. Uh, but for me, I'd never you know, had that kind of formal training. Mm. So I came to my wife one day, and I said, oh, this is one of those things where I talk about God can speak to me in a variety of ways. I was taking one more summer class before I graduated, and I remember— I've been working as my internship, working in youth ministry, but I wasn't sure if that was the direction I was going to go. The teacher of a psychology class that was my minor area, uh, Dr. Akbar, he was Muslim. And he was bald, um, just a very animated professor, very devout Muslim. But he also, um, he was talking about the Jonah syndrome, of the idea that we know what God calls us to do in life, but sometimes we're scared and we go, you know, 99% of us go in the opposite direction of what we really know we should do. And only 1% fulfill that calling that they know they should do. And uh, sorry, I'll make sure my phone's not buzzing. So I, I ended up, I told my wife, I said, I think God was speaking to this Muslim <laughs> professor <laughs> because I feel like I need to pursue this yeah. calling in youth ministry or something with that. And honestly, I went to seminary. I didn't plan on doing youth ministry as a track. I, they they have a thing that says what's your future goal with ministry and they have you know preach you know pastor associate pastor education uh, missions music uh, campus minister prison chaplain other I put other and I put Christian entertainer <laughs> and they put me on probation and they said uh, D- Dr Richardson was the admissions counselor that was my counselor and I remember he I had to report to him the first couple of months to make sure I knew what God was calling me to do because he can't be calling you to be a Christian entertainer. No, it's got to be maybe a youth minister. He yeah. says, we've got some children's ministers that do do magic, you know, on the side. <laughs> we have some that do clowning, but that's not their full calling. They're right. ministers. 
But, uh, yeah, I was on probation, and I finally I, I said, okay, I'm going to do youth ministry. But uh, uh, long story short on that is I ended up you know, falling in love with youth ministry, loved it, and did it for about 10 years. But then when we started having children, this is, again, the hats. You know, going from a husband to suddenly I've had kids. I had one, then two, then three. And I'm thinking, and my wife felt like she was a single mom because yeah. I was gone on youth retreats and camps with the church. And on top of that, I was still doing the entertainment for other churches and civic groups and going off and doing all these different things. At the time, I was in Jacksonville, Florida, and that's where the Florida Baptist Convention is headquarters, like the, the denominational headquarter. And, and the church where I was, where I was youth pastor, a lot of those convention leaders were there, so they saw me doing the lip syncs and the guitars and telling stories mm-hmm. and making people laugh. And the next thing you know, I was on the circuit for the whole state of Florida, traveling all over to different wow. camps and places, which was fun for me, but that meant my wife was at home with two, and eventually a third child came along. Don't know where that one came from. <laughs> and, uh, but, but she just said, I feel like I'm a, a single mom. So yeah. we had a long heart-to-heart talk. And talking about changing hats, yeah. and I didn't see myself being a, a you know the lead pastor of a church, mm-hmm. and I couldn't see myself doing youth ministry forever. I was getting tired, and uh, she said, "You ever thought about teaching? Like your dad? Your dad's a community college professor. Would you think about that? And you have summers where you can be with your family, and you know if you want to do stuff at the church with the youth group, you can volunteer, but you have more time to be with the family." And I said, "I think I would like to explore that." Yeah. So, long story short, I ended up going back to school, working on my doctorate, and ended up you know getting a doctorate in speech communication. And uh, been teaching since '92, wow. I think officially. That's funny because when you started, you thought there wasn't really much to study in interpersonal communication. Then you ended up with a, a doctor guy. in front of your. Yeah, names. I'm the guy that does that now. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. And whenever I have guests on here and you know, ask them about their story, I just feel like we don't. You just can't do justice to it in the short amount of time we have. But such as it is. Thanks for allowing me to share my story. Yeah, so. I wanted. I was curious, you know, as you kind of transition through these different phases of life. You mentioned the heart-to-heart talk with your wife, but what are what are some of the lessons that you look back on and saying that allowed me to have the perspective I do today? Like that's the place I can stand and kind of the mountain I can see from now. But it was really hard to climb up. Like some of the hard things. I I honestly know one of the things this tied in with the ministry, and one of the reasons I struggled a good bit was because. I, I felt like I had to do everything and I hated to ask people to do stuff for me. Hmm. And I felt like I was inconveniencing people saying, hey, would you help me with this youth fellowship? Or would you call some parents? Or would you help me, you know, get the transportation? Or would you drive the, you know, the van for us? Or uh, would you be our cook for this thing? Sure. I hated asking people to do things. And I ended up a lot of times either I would try to do them myself and do everything and wear yeah. all the hats. Yeah. And I didn't realize till later, and again, this is one of the conversations, my wife, a great sounding wall because she, she would see me and she knew my fears and anxieties and knew that I was not comfortable asking people. And she, does, on the other hand, she doesn't mind asking people to do stuff at all. She's okay. very persuasive, you know, has a beautiful smile on her face. And she says, hey, will you clean the garage? And, you know, you know oh, yeah, OK, I'll do that. And I'm thinking, <laughs> I don't want to do that. But, but she's so persuasive. And she just said, you're going to burn yourself out mm. if you don't delegate. And, and not only that, you're robbing people the opportunity themselves to serve and things that you may think is a burden, but you feel like, I've got to do this. Whereas there's someone else out there that it wouldn't be a burden. It'd actually be a joy for them to you know, drive a van. It'd be a joy for them to cook. It'd be a joy for them to you know, do the things that you're thinking you don't wow. want to do. Yeah. And I, I never appreciated that because I just kept feeling like I was inconveniencing people. And she convinced me the importance of 
not robbing people of the joy of serving. Hmm. That, and that this idea of servant leadership, yeah. that, that people want to lead, but not necessarily being the point person, but they want to help you, kind of the, the Aaron and... Uh, Moses type uh, thing. Yeah, Aaron and her holding up Moses' oh, arms yeah. uh, and trying to, her as an H-U-R, holding up the arms. And, and, and that you don't always have to be the one doing everything. And you're actually robbing people the privilege and joy of giving back and using their gifts and talents in a way because you're afraid to inconvenience them. It's not an inconvenience. It's allowing them to bless other people with something they enjoy doing and serving other people. And I learned that the hard way because I nearly burned out. Mm. And she got frustrated with me because she saw me just burning the candle at both ends, trying to do everything and waiting till the last minute to finally ask someone when I could have planned ahead and just said, let me just ask now instead of waiting till the last minute. Hmm. That's one. Yeah, that's that's good. And then maybe um, I don't know if you prepared for this or not, but like after you kind of moved into your role as a professor, I know you got to, you've gotten to see just so many different kids that come through your the institution where you work. Like, mm-hmm. what's perspective you've gained from just seeing a lot of young people at the beginning of their life, like you did, trying to figure out some of their, some of their purpose and, and goals in life? Well, one of the advantages, and sometimes it's a, it's a negative thing of a professor, and this is true of anyone that does something that's on a cyclical nature, yeah. such as education, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. Sure. And as you're saying goodbye, you're saying hello. Yeah. Um, and to some degree, you feel like you're, you're drinking from this fountain of youth. But the thing is, you're not getting younger, <laughs> but everyone else around you stays young. And, right. and it's about the time you see them getting older and starting to look a little bit older and they leave. And then you, it's like, oh, they're young again. Here they are, the freshman class coming in and they're young and they're naive and they're energetic and they think the world's before me. And then they start experiencing the hardships of you know, sophomore, junior, seniors like, oh, gosh. And they, <laughs> they show that on their faces like they look like seniors. <laughs> they look like they're ready to get out of here. Yeah. But this idea of the, the cycle, mm-hmm. uh, you know, this, the circle that keeps happening over to the curriculum, you're coming back and starting all over again. I know I've said this before, but I know I've said this before, but it's the first time. Heard it. Yeah, it's the first yeah. time they've heard it. So you do feel like a broken record and you're thinking, have I said this? Have I used this story? And sometimes I do. Mm-hmm. I tell the same story I told, you know, two years ago. But um, uh, the the blessing that we've seen is we true. It's not like when they graduate, we never see them again. One of the blessings, especially with with social media and people being able to stay connected, because back in our day, you know, you pull out a yearbook and you say, "I wonder where they are now." You know, they they and, and maybe the twenty fifth, you know, yeah, reunion. You see them, you go, oh, <laughs> you, yeah, you look really good. <laughs> but I. But now you can stay in touch and you can you yeah. can see where people are and you find out just like I mentioned earlier to one of my classes that there was a young man, uh, Robbie Alderman. He, he just blessed us. He was just so energetic and enthused. He was a social person and he ended up becoming a communication major. And so I had him for you know four years yeah. and, uh, and and got to see him through the ebb and flow. He, he loved music and he played the guitar. Very talented. Um, he even came and celebrated his his 21st birthday. He could have been anywhere, but he ended up, it was around Thanksgiving, and so we ended up taking him to my mom and dad's farm house they had. And uh, he wasn't able to go home to see yeah. his folks, and see, he came and said, Hey, Dr. H., can I hang out with you and Mrs. Jen for you know for Thanksgiving? That's I so said, cool. yes, and we're going down to my mom and dad's. And 
so he ended up having his birthday, and we celebrated. So we were able to be a part of even a big celebration for him turning 21. But he graduated, got a job in Nashville, which is where he is currently. He's leading music in his church and got married. We got to you know be a part of the, the wedding and everything. And then um, just this past year, when they found out that we were no longer in Arkansas, which is a good drive for anyone mm-hmm. to see us. Yeah. He lives in Nashville, and he said, uh, are you guys still in Arkansas? And I said, no. He texted me. He still had my number. I said, no, Robbie. I said, we're actually closer. We're we're, we're in uh, North Georgia. I'd uh, love for you and Savannah to come because we haven't seen you since your wedding, you know, four years ago, whatever it was. They ended up taking us up, and they came to our place and hung out for about three or four days uh, this past summer. Hmm. And uh, they were telling us about they were getting ready to adopt and an international child. And uh, and we, you know, we were able to be a part of contributing, you know, some money for their, yeah. you know, adopt a kid fund or whatever it was called. They're selling coffee mugs, I think is what it was. So we, we bought a couple of mugs. But uh, we just got a text from them that said, it had two big balloons. And it said, not one, but two. But they got two international kids. Okay. Uh, can't remember. I think it was in Africa. And But just the fact that it's been years since they've graduated. He's graduated yeah. years ago. But we still stay in touch. Get to see him again. And, it's, and it's that professor-student relationship. But now it's becoming more of just brothers in Christ celebrating our different stages and, and, and uh, enjoying you know learning what's going on with that. So that's, that's one of those examples of meeting someone for the first time, like a Javen Bear, <laughs> trying to figure out who is this guy. Yeah. And then you start to get to know them in your classes and at, outside of classes. And then you're thinking... I won't be saying goodbye whenever this guy graduates. Yeah. I'll get to see him again, and we'll stay connected and keep in touch with each other and continue to be a part of each other's lives. And that's the joy sure. of this job. No, that's really cool. And I think that's that's something that I wanted, I try to remind myself to be thankful for at a, a small college is that you we really get to develop relationships with the people right around us. And, and then it seems like, at least from what I've heard, they can last Long after. Now, there's some people you truly are glad when they graduate. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yes. we won't name those Thank names. Thank God for that cycle. Yeah, yeah, start again and hopefully get it right this yeah. time. But honestly, most of the time, there are yeah. those people that you truly do go beyond just being a student or professor. You truly get to know their life, their ups and downs, and their history, and it's a big part of your life. Sure. One thing that um, we've discovered we really like about this podcast is just it gives us a chance to sit down and talk about something that we've known. Uh, recently noticed in the world that's just captured us or we've just stopped and stared at it and said, man, that's really cool or something we've been mulling over. So I was curious. I'll just put you on the spot here as we wrap up. What's something in the last, I don't know, last months or weeks that you've been thinking about or or seeing in the world? Well, I mean, obviously you and Lawrence Booker, you you just did some presentations in Mm. a class uh, a little while ago dealing with communication, specifically with with the president uh, or presidency. In your case, you were talking about how communication uh, of of the how it affects uh, the the presidency, the office of the presidency, perception of right perception of the office as opposed to just an individual Mm -hmm. and how the communication style of that individual from fire chats all the way to, you know, Trump tweets. But this the, the notion of I mean we're still trying to figure out how we do the way we communicate regardless of the the vehicle that we use or the channel that we use whether it's face to face which that's you know that's my background and so it, it's it's one of the things I love about human communication is when we can do face to face but I'll be honest I love it when I can communicate with my kids any way I can. And they're, you know, several hours away or even my son up in New York to be able to communicate and we can FaceTime. And and just the fact that we didn't have that technology 
a number of years ago when my wife and I, you know, it's a long distance phone call yeah, that cost certainly. a lot of money. It's kind of staticky. And, and now it's like you can be talking to someone that's on the other side of the globe, mm-hmm. being aware of the time differences, obviously, <laughs> morning here, night there, yeah. when my son is in China. And the fact that we, as a family, were able to stay connected through the power of the, you know, the devices and the tools that we use. But the essence, even though the, the vehicle, the channel, the modes continue to change, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't gotten yet where holograms are quite, you know, where we can be standing there looking at someone, talking to them. But, but the idea of human communication, the essence of who we are as humans, and then our, the great experiment of with this new technology that's come out, as your paper pointed out, mm-hmm. it, it changes the dynamic of even how we perceive things and how we interact or the the ease of access, because now we have even more information at our fingertips. And yet I don't think it's necessary. More knowledge has not made us smarter. We, we, we may be more knowledgeable about things, mm-hmm. but it hasn't has not made us more wise. Yeah, because we have this knowledge immediately at our disposal where we can look something up or find out about somebody or something. And yet we still are making really foolish decisions in life, both individually and even collectively as a country. Um, and so when I think about that, it just it just amazes me that paradox of as much information as we have at our disposal. Sure. We still are fallen people that make stupid decisions and make, you know, and, and say things the wrong way. And we're, and we're still miscommunicating, even though we have ways to. You know, communicate multiple ways to communicate. Certainly. And you've heard me say this, and I've been saying this. I don't think this is current for me because I've been wrestling with this whole thing of being a professor of communication. Mm-hmm. And I really find myself dealing more with miscommunication and missed communication and, and, th- and things that break and hurt and harm. And you think, I didn't even know I did that. Or I didn't mean to copy that person on something that was private. Or I texted that to the wrong person. Yeah. I mean, those are the kind of things that we're discovering it's not new because we've always made mistakes, but we're making different kinds kinds of new mistakes. Yeah, and you know, isn't it interesting how how creative communication is, and that it doesn't communication does not only or maybe even primarily represent the reality that actually exists, but it creates new realities all the time. Our communication it creates yeah new paradigms and new ways of being that we didn't have to wrestle with before, like you mentioned with with social media. That new form of communication. It creates a new thing that we have to reckon right. with and a new way we have to see our president. And like you're saying, it, new ways to, to miss each other and miscommunication. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I've, I've, um, I find through that, and I think I've shared this with you guys in class, that because of the miscommunication and now more ways to miscommunicate, yeah. more ways to hurt someone, more ways to let our pride get in the way, it, it becomes even more essential for us to accept the fact that we are going to make mistakes. Mm. There's an old song. I actually do a lip sync to it. <laughs> it's called You Always Hurt the One You Love. Huh. And uh, it says we always take the sweetest rose and we crush it till the petals fall. And uh, the end of the song says, so if I broke your heart last night, it's because I love you the most mm. of all. It's a, it's a poignant song. It's a really funny song, too, when Spike Jones is the guy that uh, does the takeoff on it. But it's a, it's a beautiful song talking about human communication, the fact that we make mistakes, we stumble, we fall, we hurt each other. But we try. We're, at least we're hopefully falling in the right direction. Sure. Sometimes falling, falling into forward. each other's arms yeah. to pick each other up, brush off the dirt, make things right, and, uh, and keep on moving in a, 
in a direction that hopefully is honoring to God in the way we do our communication. Certainly. Hey, thanks so much for coming by. Yes, sir. It was sir. a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks for inviting me to do so. As a gift for you for being on our podcast, here is a fresh loaf of jalapeno cheese bread from Hershberger's. And this golden loaf golden that has so many waves and curves yeah. on it for the radio audience. Yes. I can even smell. Yeah, this I've been stuff. smelling it the it whole time. It smells bunch. great. Yeah, yeah so I this is it. more one that you don't put jelly on, but it's great for sandwiches. Yeah. And I've just taken it and just eaten it plain. <laughs> and, and where did you get this? Hershberger's Baker. <laughs> and I've heard of Hershberger's over and over again since you started the podcast and yeah. everything, but uh, seriously, I'm excited about going to Fair Play, right? Yeah, Fair Play. Uh, and Fair Play is, is, is what, just like a stop sign there? Is there something yeah, happening? there's no stoplight, so. But there's a Hershberger's. There's, there's and a what am I looking things. for? What am I looking for? You're going to come off Interstate 85, uh-huh. and then just like about a mile up towards town, uh, there's like the main one intersection, and right. they're sitting right there on the corner. And it just says Hershberger's. That's right. Does that have like a little logo or a little yeah, chef? A, I think it's a red building and they have a sign out for okay them. very good well thank you because i told you i said now that when i come out of my office and i come by the podcast control center here if i see someone walking out with bread i'm thinking javen just had you another know. guest today so i'm <laughs> symbolizing eagle radio with Hershberger's bread <laughs> and, and honestly I, I'm, I'm grateful to those folks who trust you enough to say yeah we'll connect you with our product that's great thank you you bet man have a good one yes sir That was my conversation with Dr. Randall Hollingsworth, who's a communication professor here. Colin, what were your thoughts? Yeah, no, it was, it was, I, I like just hearing him talk. He's a very entertaining mm-hmm. speaker to listen to. Um, he had several things that I thought of. The, the one part that I, I thought was really interesting that he said is he talked about, well, first off, he talked about how his mom especially was really formative in helping him mm-hmm. um, figure out even kind of what he was good at. And even his wife, uh, as she got to know him, she started recognizing different um, strengths he had and encouraging him into those while... Yeah, like same, encouraging yeah. and also like pushing him. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but then like one of the things that she helped form in him is, um, which I thought was actually really wise, but how to avoid burnout um, was to, I guess you could just say delegate as a broad yeah. term for it. But that was actually a way where, like, if you don't delegate, it almost it can be an inhibitor on anybody else's callings who maybe aren't on the stage mm. as much, like his as being a performer entertainer. Yeah. You know, the, that was interesting. Sorry, I, like I didn't mean to cut no, you go for it. <laughs> the image that kept coming to my mind while he was talking was just like we kept talking about the different hats that yeah. we wear, and you know, it's like your head. Your head can only hold like a, a hat or two or three hats before they start to just pile up and then topple over. But then he, he was talking about how, you know, you need to be willing to recognize that other people should be allowed the opportunity to serve as well. It's like, you know, their head needs to hold a hat too. Everybody, mm-hmm. yeah. everybody needs to be doing something. And so you have to be able to, to um, allow yourself to receive help. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, was, that was good. Yeah. And yeah, with the different hats, I also like, like, he talked about, it's not like you have these false selves where you mm-hmm. kind of adapt to different environments. It's not like it's a different version of yourself. It's like, and I was trying to think of good wording. I thought we could talk about it a little bit. Cause I was trying to think of, because you're, you're not lying. You're not being dishonest. Mm-hmm. But I could recognize what he was saying because with different people, there's different like avenues of connection. You're the communications major, so I figured you could 
help me think through that because there, there's yeah. different avenues where you can really connect with different groups in different ways while at the same time you're not compromising um like your own voice or you're not lying by sure coming at people in different ways yeah well i think that different spaces allow you to um portray like different strengths of yourself mm-hmm. for instance like what I'm, i guess what i'm saying is for me i like to to write songs and you know write things because i feel like there's a large portion of I don't know what you want to call it, my soul, my being, that I can pour into that. But obviously not all of it because I also like to play football and basketball and, Mm -hmm. you know, that has nothing really to do with the other. So I think it's seldom or probably impossible to find a space where you can put your whole self into. And so then it's good to be involved in different things because different sides of you can show. But like you said, none of it's false. Right. Yeah, it kind of just shows how dynamically creative um, we are because, like, I find then that with different circles, as it brings out different aspects, I can almost realize things that I didn't realize I enjoyed talking about as much or didn't realize I thought about as much until you're with kind of that circle and you realize it it just plays off these different complex parts of you. And I think that's really cool. Okay, this brings up something that I'm just kind of fascinated by. I don't really understand it, but I wanted to ask you if, if you have had the same experience. For me, I cannot... How should I say? Like the aesthetic has to match the space that I'm going into. And what I mean by that is I can't go from like working outside in the mud and have dirty clothes to come in and start playing guitar. Mm, Like I cannot do that. It's just like, no, this is wrong. And so it's just funny to me. Like sometimes, yeah, I just have to like change clothes and change appearance before I can move from one thing to the next. Do you you feel that? Oh, yeah. Okay. One of our movies we used to watch some was Chasing Mavericks, right? And, you know, there's the scenes with him in his bedroom with his hoodie up um, and he's writing and he's got his like hoodie sleeves like down past his hands a little bit, Mm -hmm. you know, like they're kind of out on his hands. They're not back at his wrist. Anyway, and he's in his bed. For the longest time when I wanted to journal... I went and I'd stuck on a hoodie because I wouldn't feel it otherwise. I stuck on a hoodie, put my hood on, (laughs) and pulled my sleeves down in my hands because, and then when I felt that, or when I did that, it was more in my mind than anything because I liked, I wanted to be like Jay, you know, (laughs) go go ride waves back then. Uh, But but there was something about the environment with that that did just make me, and and it's something like both of us talked about this before. Like I always feel more creative and um, feel like it's easier to write at about midnight, yeah, eleven, twelve. Yeah. One. And yeah, it just stuff flows. I, I can feel like I can just get out what I want to say that I can't. Like, especially if I want to sit down in the middle of the day and try to write something, it's almost impossible for mm-hmm. me. Interesting. Yeah, and I think it's different for different people because I see yeah, some sure. people who it doesn't really affect. But, like, for me, <laughs> it's just, like, my own little complex. But I just can't wear gym shorts and a cutoff to campus. Like, I'm, like, I'm here to learn and, like, yeah. be professional. Yep. I just can't do it. Like, I always have to wear, like, jeans or dress pants and a, like a button shirt right. I don't know it's just something about it yeah but anyway that's interesting yeah we should wrap up but yeah there was yeah. a bunch more we could have talked about but that was a really good interview that's I, something that's interesting about being with Dr. Hollingsworth is there is always more to talk about the yeah. time that you have to talk yeah. about it no matter what setting you encounter him in. and he's really cool because you can honestly you can talk about absolutely yeah. anything with him and he has plenty to say about it the man has a doctorate degree in talking that's what i think yeah anyway he's that, fantastic he is hey thanks for joining us uh we're taking the week off for thanksgiving yeah so check back with us in two weeks and we'll have the next show which we're not quite who the guest yeah, will be yet but it'll be great move, is it? yeah see. it's gonna be a surprise we hope to you hope you hear it then so right. see you guys next have week. have a good thanksgiving yeah.